1: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 40 through 44.
0: Then called he Johanan, the son of Keriah, and all the captains of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest. and and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him. If ye will still abide in this land, then will I build you, and not pull you down, and I will plant you, and not pluck you up, for I repent of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid, Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Well, that's pretty neat. And I will show you mercies unto you. Excuse me, I will show mercies unto you that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. But if ye say, We will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go into the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger for bread. And there will we dwell. Now therefore, and now therefore hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and, and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword, which ye have feared, shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine, of which ye were afraid, shall follow you close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die. It goes on, but let me catch up on a couple of ideas here. Interesting that in spite of all this, the Lord still sanctions them, despite all the ministry of the 40 years of Jeremiah. says, hey, if you will just, you know, abide here, I'll protect you. That's neat. If you're following Jeremiah, that's, that's quite a offer on the part of God. The Lord God of Israel. Now they're afraid. This this remnant group is afraid of the King of Babylon, because they've been a rabble rousers, they've bloodied the hillsides. Uh, they've created nothing but problems for the local you know, and, and they're nervous. They're frightened. They're, they're afraid of Babylon. And their plan, as it turns out, has been all along to flee to Egypt. Babylon's traditional enemy. And they want so they want to that was the whole problem under Zedekiah, et cetera. They kept making these hoping to make alliances with Egypt, that Pharaoh Hophra would somehow prevail. And Jeremiah says, hey, don't do it. They're not going to make it. And they wouldn't listen. And even now, they somehow have this notion that they want to head to Egypt. Now, get the picture. Their land is bloody. Bodies everywhere, famine, pestilence, sword. Egypt's peaceful. what's going on there. It's quiet down there. Their land, Judah is the war-torn uh, uh, battlefield. They've had enough of it. They want out of there. And they don't trust the Lord to stay there they're going to go where the grass is greener, presumably. And the Lord says, uh, "But He says, if you say you will, that you will not dwell in this land, uh, by saying no, you're going to go to the land of Egypt, and you will see no—and there's always this, these three things. There's war, the sound of the trumpet, the hunger for bread. There's always war, famine, and pestilence. You'll see the three reoccur as a theme through the rest of this passage. And the Lord says, if you will always set your face to enter Egypt and, so to, so, and go to sojourn there, then it will come past the sword which ye have feared will overtake you, the famine of which ye are uh, afraid shall follow close after there, and there shall ye die. Pestilance. So shall it be with the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to sojourn there. Verse 17, they shall die by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury have been poured out forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured out, poured out upon you when ye shall enter into Egypt, and ye shall be an execration. I have to tell you what that is in modern vernacular. And a horror, and a curse, and a reproach, and ye shall see this place no more. The Lord can get right down to street level when he needs to. And he lays it on him right there. Ye shall be an execration, and a horror, and a curse, and a reproach, and ye shall see this place no more. The Lord said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For ye dissembled in your hearts. You know, see, that's this whole perception of this passage I didn't make up. It's confirmed here by Jeremiah's, or the Lord's words through Jeremiah near the end here, that they were not sincere in approaching Jeremiah to find out the Lord's real will. What they were hoping the Lord would do is ratify or sanction what they had in mind to do all along. And how glib it is for us to look at this passage and say, gee, this guy sure didn't get the message. And when we do that, we should just pause for a minute and ask ourselves, how often do we grieve the Lord the same way? How often do you and I kneel in the privacy of our prayer closet, figuratively speaking, and go over a checklist of things? Lord, I'm on this path. Is it okay? You know, we don't really say, what path do you want me on? We don't really do that. We say, gee, Lord, uh, if it be your will, can I do X? if it be your will, Lord, can I do why? Rather than sitting back and finding out where he—and I'm the worst offender. I'm saying this to you uh, editorially. I'm a hard-driving, shot, uh, high-initiatives, uh, creative kind of character. And I'm always charging off without any confidence or comfort that I'm reading the will of the Lord. That's one of my major problems, is to stop, listen to what he has to say, not— Lord, is it okay with your will? You know, if it be your will, let us, you know, get this done or that done. Uh, I'm guilty of that all the time. And how interesting it is, as we see here, how how the Lord is trying to say, well, you know, they they weren't saying, hey, what shall we do? They were hoping to get, you know, a sanction on what they're doing, uh, having already made up their mind. And here, in verse 20, the Lord, through Jeremiah, nails it. For ye have dissembled in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God, praying Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according unto All the Lord our God shall say, So declare unto us, and we will do it. Nonsense. And now I have this day declared unto you, but ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for which he hath sent me unto you. Now therefore know certainly that ye shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, in the place where ye desire to go and to sojourn. There it is, Jeremiah's got his popular message out again. He sure has tact, doesn't he? He sure know how, knows how to win a following, doesn't he? Jeremiah didn't spend a lot of time with public relations people. They're not to go to Egypt. Now, from here we can do a whole nother thing if we want to think about it. They were in the land, and they were assured in the land, although it may not look very attractive to them, that they would be under the Lord's blessing. They chose to go to Egypt. Do you know how ironic that is? Generations before, the Lord went through a lot of trouble to get them out of Egypt, right? Right? I mean, he, really, he really staged some pretty dramatic stuff and uh, got them out of there. And now they're going back. And the Lord's saying, uh, and What was Egypt, by the way, m- modeled then? The world. How about you and I, gay? You're supposed to be in the world, not of it. Are we going back in the world? We all run that risk. I, as much as anybody, being in the world you know, with all its pressures and enticements and traps. Are we going back into bondage, the bondage of the world, the land of bondage? Egypt's the land of bondage of the scripture. The world and its entanglements are our land of bondage if we're not careful. Freedom. A freedom in Christ. I'm thinking of uh, 1 John 1 9. Anybody know 1 John 1 9? That's our escape. Our escape is. 1 John 1 9. That's a Christian's bar of soap. What you do when you go home tonight is label your soap dishes. 1 John 1 9. When you're entangled in the world and you're in bondage, how do you scrub yourself clean of that? If we confess our sins, He is faithful. Not us. He is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the Christian's bar of soap. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm, I think I'm going to go through our house and label the soap dishes. 1 John 1.9 and if that doesn't confuse our house guests, I don't know what will. Anyway, I'm sorry, I got off the track here. Chapter 43, verse 1, It came to pass that when Jeremiah had ceased speaking unto all the people all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God hath sent him to them, even all these words, then spoke Azariah the son of—a couple of other names I can't pronounce— and uh, Johanan the son of Kiriah, and all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely. Oh, Really? <laughs> seems to me Jeremiah's heard that before over the last 40 years. Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. I wonder how they know. I mean, they were pretty anxious for a channel of communication a little while ago. And now they seem to have a better one. Verse 3, But Baruch the son of Neriah sitteth thee against us to deliver us under the hands of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. they accusing him of treating him falsely. He's being managed by his secretary, his scribe, his messenger. You know, Baruch was his you know, his loyal, faithful supporter. Here is Jeremiah, who stood undaunted before the kings. A number of them, when, they, when he, they were confronted with his unpopular messages, harassed Jeremiah to death, literally. And he didn't bend, did he? And they're accusing him of being managed by his secretary? Get serious, guys. That's utter, That's just rubbish. It speaks for itself. Wisdom is justified of her children, and that's what I said. And Florida said, verse 4, So join and the son of Cariah and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. And here comes the trouble then, right? So Joanne and the son of Cariah and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from all the nations, where they had been driven to dwell in the land of Judah, even men and women and children, the king's daughters, and every person that Nebuchadnezzar, Zardin, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, and the uh, son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, Baruch, the son of Neriah, they took them. Now, see, Jeremiah appears to be somewhat of a prisoner of this band, and he is un—he's—he's he's unwillingly forced to go with them to Egypt. Strange irony. Here's the guy that preached. Uh, uh, pro-Babylon, and now he is being taken to the land of the enemy of the Babylonians. Very ironic, verse 7. So they came to the land of Egypt, and they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, thus they came even to Taphanes. Now, Taphanes is uh, in the Greek place called Daphne, but it's uh, northeast Egypt, the northern border of lower Egypt. It's about 20 miles from Python, which is incidentally in the land of Goshen, which is ironic because that's where they extricated themselves, or the Lord extricated them some so long before. But Bithon is dedicated to a heathen goddess, and uh, uh, how ironic that they return there, the, the site of the former degradation of Israel, uh, how ironic it is. And he's there apparently against his will, and we tie that from Jeremiah's own prophecies of chapter 32, 40, and a other things. Okay, verse 8, then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah and Taphanus saying, and by the way, there's some evidence that that was at the time because the house of Pharaoh is there, we find, uh, that's very likely the, the capital at that time, okay? Lord came to Jeremiah and says, take great stones in thy hand and hide them in the clay in the brick kiln, which as at the entrance of Pharaoh's house at Taphnis, at the site of the men of Judah. Now, by the way, we're not sure if this was a kiln or simply in the pavement that was being laid. There's, a, there's some ambiguities in the Hebrew here, but the point is he took some stones symbolically and... and uh, Put them either in the in the pavement or in this uh, in some clay uh, work that is going on there as a symbol, and he says And say unto them, "Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. There again is that strange title that God, uh, you know, puts on his name, and will set his throne and Nebuchadnezzar's throne upon these stones that I have hidden, and will sp- and he will spread his royal pavilion or covering or or or." Uh, Uh, tapestry, you know, over this, you know, which is going to be his very seat, a throne right here. And when he cometh, he shall smite the land of Egypt and deliver such as are, here, for death, uh, to death, and such as are for captivity, to captivity, and such as are for the sword, to the sword. Then I will kindle a fire in the houses of the God of Egypt, and they shall burn them and carry them away captives. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt, as a shepherd putteth on his garment." and he shall go forth from there in peace. And he shall break also the images of Beth Shemesh, which is in the land of Egypt, and the houses that are of the gods of the Egyptians um, shall um, he burn with fire. Now, uh, uh, when he speaks of the images of Beth Shemesh, he's talking about the obelisks and so forth, and they indeed. uh, I think there's only one left there. But... uh, Um, chapter 44, verse 1. Uh, Incidentally, uh, there's seven things that Jeremiah predicts here. That Nebuchadnezzar is going to invade Egypt, that he's going to have victory over Egypt, uh, the place of his throne, the decorations of his throne, uh, the lives he would destroy, the temples he would demolish, and the gods that he'd take away captive, just as an aside. Interesting number there, but okay, moving on. Chapter 44, verse 1, the word came... That came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who were to dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal and Daphnis and Memphis and in the country of the Pathros saying. And these are just, uh, Migdal is the royal fortress, and Nophis, it is in some of your Bibles, it is of course Memphis, the ancient capital of Upper Egypt. And what this does imply is that the colonization has really spread over a large area. This isn't a little rabble rousing group in one city, this thing has spread over a lot of parts of the country. Verse 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Ye have seen all the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are a desolation, and no man dwelleth in them. Because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they knew not, neither they, ye, or your fathers. Howbeit, I send unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising early, and sending them, saying, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. But they argned not, nor inclined their ear to turn from their wickedness, to burn no incense unto other gods. Wherefore, my fury and mine anger were poured forth and and were kindled in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, and they were wasted and desolate as at this day. Get the message, guys? You thought you could run away, huh? Verse 7, Wherefore now thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why commit ye this great evil against your souls, to cut off from you, man and woman, child and suckling, out of Judah, to leave you none to remain? And that ye provoke me into wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where ye are gone to dwell, that ye might cut yourselves off, that ye might, have, that ye might be a curse and a reproach among all nations of the earth." Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, and the wickedness of the kings of Judah, and the wickedness of your wives, and your wickedness, and your wickedness, I should say, and the wickedness of your wives, and which they have committed in the land of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem? They are not humbled even unto this day, neither have they feared, nor walked in my law, nor in my statutes that I have set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you, For evil, and to cut off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah that have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, and they shall be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine, and they shall die from the least even to the greatest by the sword and by famine, and they shall be an execration and a horror and a curse and a reproach. For I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by the pestilence so that none of the remnant of Judah who are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall escape or remain, that shall uh, that should return into the land of Judah, to which they have a desire to return to dwell there. For none shall return but such as shall escape. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense— into for the wives really are prominent in this thing. Sorry, girls, but they, they're really showing— had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women who stood by, a great multitude, even all the people who dwelled in the land of of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah." You know, it's interesting, we have to just comment. It's interesting how—and I'm not trying to pick on you girls, but I want you to think about this and study the Scripture. Remember Acts 17.11. Don't believe what I tell you. Search the Scriptures daily to prove why these things be so. The entrance of false teaching and doctrine seems to enter man's predicament through the women. I'm not picking on you girls. Think it through. Eve got in trouble in Genesis 3, right? Okay. Solomon got anointed. Idolatry entered through his foreign wives. Remember? And uh, all the way through. And Paul warns us about being covered, a woman uncovered. Where was Adam in Genesis 3? He wasn't around. She wasn't cover- under his covering. This guy, I'm sorry about women's lib and equality, all that. It ain't scriptural. God has a chain of command. And the woman who's uncovered by the man is got, she's vulnerable. And through her, seems to be Satan's instrument for false teaching and false doctrine and heresy. And you can also look at many of the great uh, pseudo Christian cults who enter through the e- 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 zeal of, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, anyway, you can bring with that if you like. If not, just write off to another one Chad Pistler's crazy ideas or Paul's peculiar notions in his epistles. Verse 15, that all men shall know that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all women who stood by a great multitude, even all the people who dwelt the land of Egypt and pathos. Answer Jeremiah, saying, verse 16, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Oh, really? But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense even unto the queen of heaven. Oh, really? The queen of heaven, huh? This brings us into the whole study of Ishtar. Ashtoreth, Astarte, Artemis, Diana, depending on what you're talking, Hebrew, Greek, or Latin, or whatever. Anyway, to pour out drink offerings unto her, for we have done as we of our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, for they had plenty of food, uh, were well, and saw no evil. But since we ceased to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings under her, we have lacked all things and have been consumed by the sword by famine. They have—they've got a misguided idea. They point back to some times where they did that and things seemed to be okay. So they're saying, "Gee, as long as we were worshiping idols, everything was fine." They got it backwards. It was because they were worshiping idols that God brought the judgments on. They really haven't done their homework. Verse 19: And and when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our husbands? Then Jeremiah said unto all the people, to, all, to men and to the women and to all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that ye burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, ye and your fathers and your kings and your princes and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them, and it came at came not into his mind, so that the Lord could no longer bear, because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations, Which ye have committed, therefore is your land a desolation and a horror and a curse without inhabitant at this day. That's why God judged Judah, and that's why God will judge America. Look around this country and see if it honors God. Verse 23 Because ye have burned incense, and because ye have sinned against the Lord, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, nor walked in his law, nor in his statutes, nor in his testimonies, therefore this evil has happened unto you as at this day. Moreover, Jeremiah said unto all the people, and to all the women, hear the word of the Lord, and all all Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, Ye and your wives have both spoken with your mouths, and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have vowed to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her Ye will surely accomplish your vows and surely perform your vows. Therefore, hear ye the word of the Lord, all Judah that dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, saith the Lord. Now, when the Lord starts talking that way, you get the impression he's serious. Huh? I have sworn by my great name, saith the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man in Judah, in all the land of Egypt, saying, Lord God liveth. Behold, I will watch over them for evil and not for good, and all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, until there be an end of them. Yet a small number that escape uh, uh, escape the sword shall return out of the land of Egypt, into the land of Judah, and all the remnant of Judah who are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall know whose words shall stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign unto you, saith the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that ye may know that my word shall surely stand against you for evil. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, the, uh, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of them that seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah the king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. So it's chapter 44. Lord doesn't mess around. He's serious. He will have his name honored. And when the nation turns against them, he judges. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. The Queen of Heaven is a whole other study. It's a side study of this. Ishtar is the name in the Akkadian language. Ashtoreth is the name in the Hebrew. It also has astrological overtones, but it's basically the god of fertility and the god of war tied together. Astarte is the Greek equivalent. Artemis shows up in the New Testament, particularly Acts 19. And Diana shows up, but that's the Latin. But it's all the same concept, not far far different than the the uh, uh, worship today of uh, the, the so-called world of glamour and what have you, uh, the whole, it's interesting how the whole concept of the occult is always tied up with sex. It's interesting how Satan doesn't lose, he uses all his tricks. Tough world out there. Only supernaturally can we survive it But The Holy Spirit tells, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry.